in the midst of all that's going on in our country, do you believe spiritual warfare is happening? No doubt. No doubt. There's a spirit of darkness, spirit of light. You can see it. And so, I don't think it's a coincidence that, that the Lord is going to have us right here for a, for a while in Ephesians 6. And everything's going to tie to Romans, so don't think we're forsaking Romans. We're not. But because the, the first piece of armor when we do get to it is the belt of truth, and what have we already learned from Romans 1? We talked of those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Are we seeing that? Oh, yes, we are. And so for the child of God, we need to be equipped and we need to be prepared. And, and through the years, I went back and looked. The, the last time we, we uh, went through the armor of God was, ex was exactly four years ago. It was four years ago this month. And I can't help but believe it was also in preparation leading up to an election. And so here we are again. And I found that that Sunday I was home ill. When I'm home on a Sunday, that there's about four preachers that I go through and I look up and I, and I record them so that I can go back and listen to them. And I think three out of the four preached on spiritual warfare that Sunday. So I can't help but believe that throughout pulpits across this country and the world, that there's preparations being made for spiritual warfare. And so let's read Ephesians 6. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. We're going to begin in verse 10, and we're going to take it all the way down to verse 18. Don't know how much we're going to be talking about specifically about this today, but this, this is our setting. This is our setting for, for what we'll be talking about today. So Ephesians 6, verses 10. Through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Keep it right there for just a moment. Did you get that? We do not wrestle. Our war is not against flesh and blood, though we may think it is. It's not. And know that. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Now, I'm just going to pause there for a moment. We're being called to stand. It's not necessarily saying to advance, it's not saying to retreat. Stand firm, stand your ground, and that ground being. This, the truth, the Word of God. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The shield of faith with, with which you will be able to quench how many? All, all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I was going to read a portion of Pilgrim's Progress today where it had that battle uh, with Christian and, and uh, Apollyon. And, and some of you will recall that. And, 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 and the devil, fiery darts, fiery darts, and, and, and Christians with his shield. I, I'll look that up and, and we'll, we're going to read it on one of these days. Above all, taking the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So let's pray once again. So Heavenly Father, we just come to you now and just pray and ask, Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Help us that we might take this word that we are going to hear and be equipped for what's going on right now. And Lord, I know that when we talk of spiritual warfare, this happens every day. In some degree, sometimes it seems so subtle that we may not even know it because Satan will come as an angel of light. But still in the midst of that, there's warfare going on. And help us, Lord, to be equipped to know the difference. To know the difference between true light and darkness. So equip us, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we know we have an enemy. We talked about it a few weeks ago now, and we know the enemy is, is Satan the devil. And we know that at different points in our life, we're going to have to take a stand against the spiritual hosts of wickedness. And can we do that of our own strength? No. And I know I ask that question in some form or fashion so often. Can we do it of our own strength? And we have to come to the realization that no, we can't. That we need a strength that is above what we have of ourselves. But as a born-again believer, it's a strength that we have within. The Spirit of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Of His might. It is only by His might that we can stand against the spiritual hosts of wickedness. Can I get an amen on that? Because I'm telling you, if you try to do it on your own, you're going to get beat up. You are. For us to stand, we must... Uh, that verse 11, we just put it up there by itself. It's there. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We talked about this in that sermon a few weeks ago, the trickery, the deceit, the cunning schemes of the devil. And like I said, sometimes his schemes can be very subtle, can't they? Oh, that's surely God wouldn't withhold this from you. You know, that's a tactic he used in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? For the true believer, we know this. 
1 John 4, 4. You know this verse. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because there's a reason we can overcome. Because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? And who is in every born-again believer? The Spirit of God. It doesn't come down the road after you're saved. It comes the moment of. That's how we know we're saved. Because we have the Holy Spirit that bears witness with us that we know we are His. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, you are not His. Simple as that. And how do I know? The Bible tells me so. Let's read it. Romans 8 verse 9. This is talking about those who claim to be born again. But you are not in the Spirit. In the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If indeed, you see. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Does it get any more clearer than that? You're not in the flesh, just in the flesh. Yes, we're in the flesh, living and breathing on this earth. Let's talk about that being born again. Of being born of the Spirit. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. You have the Spirit of God in you. How do I know? You pray. You pray and say, Lord, show me. And if not, Lord, show me yourself. Show me the cross and show me my sin. If we are in Christ, born again, then we have the Spirit of God indwelling us, and we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Amen? We've been delivered from the power of darkness. Uh, we're just going to read one verse in Colossians 1.13. Usually I want to read about the whole chapter, of chapter 1 and 2 there. But here we're just going to take the verse 13. He, the Lord, has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We stand, we wrestle from a standpoint of victory. Always remember that. As a child of God, we stand on the winning side. The, the, the war has already been won. Oh, there's going to be battles while we're still on this earth, but ultimately the war is already won through Christ our Lord. And so we stand victorious from a, a stance of victory in Jesus. Now, here I'm going to ask a question. If we fear God, if we live blameless and upright while shunning sin, will this present us from ever facing the attacks of Satan? <laughs> oh, preacher, you're being silly. Of course not. Of course not. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, we, we looked at the account of Satan even tempting Jesus himself. That was a sermon from, I guess, probably about a month ago now. And today we're going to go back and reflect and look at Job. So let's go to the book of Job. First chapter. And let's start, let's just read the first five verses. And we're going to, we're not going to read, the obviously, the, the whole book of Job. And we're not going to expend weeks on the book of Job. We're going we're gonna to highlight this thing, okay? So we're going to start out in the first five verses in Job chapter 1. There's a man in the land of us whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. 
and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. I'll pause there for just a minute. Consider the wealth. It was the greatest. He was wealthy, but yet he feared God and shunned evil. You know, the, the potential of the wealthy to have difficulty is pretty high, isn't it? So many things vying for our attention apart from the Lord. And perhaps some would say, oh, look what I did. Look what I accumulated. But not this man, not Job. Okay, verse 4. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Did he have concern for his children? Yes. You know, I, I take this as being what we today, daily praying for our children and grandchildren, our families, having a concern for them and lift them up in prayer that the Lord would watch over them and protect them and, and be their guiding light throughout the day. So, so we pray. We pray for our families. Uh, you know, a man that's blameless, he up, he's upright, he fears God, he shuns evil, and, and he's trusting God faithfully. He's living, I believe, a God-honoring life of integrity. And yet we know what he's about to face. Verse 6. And there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. See, now here's a scene in the heavenlies. Here's a scene in the heavenlies. God apparently is holding counsel with his heavenly court, and Satan is present. And next, God makes an inquiry of Satan. Verse 7 and 8. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, does that sound a little bit familiar, that passage right there? What did Peter say? Satan's like a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. He's on the earth going back and forth and back and forth. Now, and you understand that when God asks this question, it's a rhetorical question, don't you? God, God knew where he... God knows everything. This is a rhetorical question. God knew where he had come from. God is all-knowing. He knew that Satan was seeking someone to destroy. And so then God poses a question. Then the Lord said to Satan... Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, now I want you to notice this, that God is the one who initiated this conversation. You, you see that, don't you? God's the one that initiate, initiated this. God is the one that brings up Job. Satan doesn't initially bring up Job. God does. For a purpose. 
for His purpose and for our purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for what will transpire. And Satan replies, verses 9 through 11. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? Now let me ask, is it okay, Lord, I'll put a hedge of protection around this household. Put a hedge of protection around this church. Oh, Lord, send your angels to guard and protect to help us in spiritual warfare. Yes, it is. And will the Lord do such things? <laughs> yes, he does. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? And perhaps the Lord had. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. So here's the accusation from Satan. That Job only worshiped you because of all the things that you give him. Now, there are some circles who it seems that that's what they believe on this earth, isn't it? Oh, God loves us. He's going to give me everything I ask for. I'm going to be healthy and wealthy and have all my heart's content. We may. Job did, didn't he? But then what will be our attitude toward the Lord when perhaps it's gone? Perhaps an illness comes. Perhaps a financial crisis comes. What will be our... What will be our thoughts then? Will we, will we still say, blessed be the name of the Lord? What will our heart choose to do? God is going to prove to Satan that all of the heavenly hosts, as well as to us too, that he's, he's going to show what true faith looks like. It's going to be an example for us of what true trust looks like and of what true worship looks like. Uh, verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. It's like the Lord is bringing down the hedge of protection, perhaps, if you want to say it that way. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Don't touch him. Don't touch him physically. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. See, God is giving permission to Satan to test Job's faith. You can lay hold on his things, but you cannot touch him. Don't touch his body. And always remember, without God's permission, Satan can do nothing. Understand that God sets the boundaries. Always know that. God is sovereign over all things. And Martin Luther once said, even the devil is God's devil. God has sovereign power over all His creation. And remember this, that Satan is nothing more than one of God's creation. Don't give him more than he has. See, that, that's one of the things. So often on this earth, we, that we want to do one of two things. We want to give him way more power and authority than he has, or we want to just, ah, that's nothing. And both are dangerous. But we want to understand that when God allows, 
He has power. Yes, yes, he is a lion roaming to and fro, but always remember this, he is God's lion and God has him on a leash. And I hope you can understand that because it's true. Isn't it good to know that whatever comes our way, isn't it good to know that we serve a sovereign God? Man, that, that takes a lot, a lot off of us when we understand that. Oh, well, God's in control. God is good all the time. God must have a plan and a purpose for this. So Lord, help me. Help me in the midst of it. Isn't it good to know that God is sovereign? It can take a lot of pressure off. It really can. It can take a lot of worry off. It can take a lot of anxiety off. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is, your, is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, beginning in verse 13, we, we read of the four rapid fire, I'm going to say disasters. I think it's okay for me to say that. Man, these are explosions within this family. Can these type of explosions happen in ours? <laughs> yes, they can. You know, we've been praying for Sandy Galahar. It can happen in a flash in a moment. Verses 13 through 19. Now there was a day when the sons and daughters were eating, when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest son's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing in the, and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So there, there goes the uh, oxen and the donkeys and for all those servants that were there that were caring for them, dead, gone. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another also came, and so here comes another messenger and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, Another messenger, another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Can, can you imagine just the shockwave after shockwave after shockwave that's coming to this man? And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So I can't imagine my feelings and thoughts if something like that should ever happen. And I would venture to say you either. But we're going to have an example here of how we should respond. Amen? Oh yeah, the shock wave will come. Perhaps it will knock us over for a moment. But I, I pray that when anything like this should come my way, I hope I can recover quickly and remind myself that God is sovereign and I can look to Him. 
Now, in the midst of all of that, here's what I want you to I want you to consider the power that God allowed Satan to use in wreaking havoc on this family. Satan was able, apparently, to enter the minds of the Sabians and the Chaldeans, and they formed these attacks and came. Satan was able to cause fire to fall from heaven, perhaps lightning to kill a flock of sheep and the servants that were tending them. And, and, and it seems to me that the Satan also caused a great wind, perhaps a tornado, to suddenly blow down the house that the kids were in and kill them all. So, so I see attacks of Satan in the real world. Attacks that affected lives and possessions. And can that happen yet today? I believe it can. I believe it can. Now, did these attacks and this utter loss cause Job to lose his faith in God? Let's read verse 20 through 22. Then Job arose, tore his robe. You get a picture of this perhaps? The agony, the pain. Tears his robe, shaves his head, and he fell to the ground and what? Say it. Worshipped. He worshipped. Consider the news he just got. And he fell to the ground in worship, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. We sang it this morning. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Man, what an example, amen? Because often, often, and perhaps you've done it. I know I have at times in my life. God, God, why? 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 And is it okay to, to ask God the question, why? Well, yes, it is. Of course it is. But often, that's where we go. Lord, why? Why did you allow this? Why did this have to happen? And I pray that quickly it can come back to say, God, I know you are God. You are God alone. And nothing happens to me apart from your will for me and for your greater plan and purposes. And so, Lord, help me. Help me to, help me to pull it together. Help me to look to you and trust you. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped. He had suffered great loss, and yet he worshiped God. Now, was this the end of it? <laughs> No, we know it's not. Let's go into chapter 2. We're going to read 10 verses uh, down through uh, verse 10 in chapter 2 of Job. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to, pre to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Well, yeah, I did. I took care of him. 
Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, and blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. <laughs> See, Job had done no wrong, had he? Job was not being punished for disobedience. I hope you understand that. Job had not sinned. He was not being uh, uh, reprimanded because of something he'd done. He had lived an upright life. And Job was not the cause of the disasters. It wasn't anything that he did. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely cause, or he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job. Who, who struck Job? Satan did. God didn't do this. God allowed this, but God didn't do it. Satan did it. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a pot's herd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Man, that's, that's an encouraging spouse, isn't it? But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish one, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? Hey, there's a good line right there. So do you only want to accept, and do I only want to accept what, what I think is good from God? And do I want to get upset with God when adversity comes my way? <laughs> shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So here's Satan accusing Job of remaining faithful to God only to protect his health. And Satan suggests that if Job's physical body would suffer loss, that he would turn from God. And so here again, God gives permission, permission to test Job. And Satan causes boils. So there's, there's a question. Can Satan cause sickness and disease in the life of a believer? Can he? If God allows. If God allows. But always remember what Satan intends for evil and suffering God intends for what? Good. He intends for good and for rejoicing, for His glory, for our good. Will we always know the cause? No. We'll not always know the source of our suffering. Job didn't know. Did God speak to him and let him know ahead of time, hey Job, here's what's coming, but trust me. No. God remained silent. 
Job cried out and no answer came, yet he trusted God. Now we're going to jump, we're going to jump. Now you can read the, go back and read the whole book of Job, but I'm going to make a big leap here. We're going to go to Job 13. Job 13. Because Job is crying out and no answer is coming, yet he continued to trust God. And, and then in the, in the midst here, Job 13, 15. Now this is a verse that many of you know and have committed to memory in Job 13:15 Though he though the Lord slay me yet will I trust him Though he slay me yet I will trust him See there's trust there's trust his response continues to be one of trust He states that he believes that he is innocent of any wrongdoing and wants to make his case before the Lord Now, now I'm not sure where Job's heart is Perhaps right here in the midst of this, is, is he wanting to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't, I don't understand? Or is he going to want to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't think I deserve this. So let's go. Let's jump again. Let's make another big jump. Job 23. Job 23. Job 23, verses 3 and 4. Because here's, here's Job. He's crying out. He's crying out. Do we have what seems to be and perhaps is moments of silence from God in our lives. Yes. Yes. But but always know we've got this. So so in that regard he's never silent. Now we may not be getting the answers to the, our questions the way we want or in the timing we want, but we keep coming back to this. We keep coming back to the Bible, to the word of God. And here he says in, in Job 23, verses 3 and 4, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. Do you get what's behind that? He's praying, he's praying, he's crying out to God. Where's he at? And you and I know always where he's at. Amen? He's always on his throne. He never leaves. He never changes. He's always on his throne. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. So I can't help but believe that perhaps some of this would be, well, God, I don't know. I, uh, why, why, why did this happen? I, I don't think, I, wasn't I looking to you? Wasn't I worshiping you? Wasn't I doing all those things? God, why? It's like he's saying, Lord, where are you? I need answers. I need answers. I, I don't know why. I don't know what's going on here. And then God finally speaks to Job out of a whirlwind in chapters 38 through 41. And we're just going to, we're just going to, let's go to Job 38. And here's a, <laughs> here's a verse that, that just pretty much hits the nail on the head. When we come before the Lord, perhaps demanding answers. Verse 4, Job 38, verse 4. And here's God speaking to Job out of the whirlwind. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. It's, it's as though God is saying, my ways are higher than your ways. And it's as though God has declared His sovereign right to do all that He pleases. And that is His right, Amen. That is his right to do all that he pleases. And so there's the conversation. You can read it on your own. 
we're going we're gonna to make another jump. We're going to go to Job 42. Job 42. And then after the Lord speaks, we're going to get a, a response from Job. And I just want to read the first, uh, the, the six verses. The six verses. Then Job answered the Lord and says, I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Let me pause there. Can anyone thwart the hand of God? No, no, no. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I do not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, and now my eye sees you. Therefore, I, have, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job confesses and repents of his complaining and his questioning. I know you're God. And I know you do as you will. And as you please, for your purposes are true. See, Job still didn't know why he was suffering, but it didn't matter. <laughs> Job trusted God. Regardless of his circumstances, regardless of his health, regardless of his finances, he trusted God. That's a wonderful place to be, isn't it? We know that God heard, and, and would ultimately we know the rest of the story, don't we, that he would restore to Job twofold of what he had he was already at that time before all he got lost the richest the the, the greatest and now he's going to be that guy only double does, does god restore yes he does and let me tell you this if he doesn't restore it here on earth that's okay because we'll get a reward in heaven so don't worry so much about everything here on this earth just keep trusting Him, keep looking to Him, and, and, and see how the Lord will take care of His own. So Job had been delivered to Satan in order to learn to glorify God and to always give honor to God. God had a purpose. Does God have a purpose when we would perhaps go through such things? Yes, He does. I want to read a verse from 1 Peter 4.19. Because this fits, this fits with, with Job, this fits with so much of what we may go through. First uh, Peter 4.19 Therefore let those who suffer according to what? The will of God. So we suffer. It's God's will that we suffer. We just looked at Job. Was it God's will for Job to go through what he went through? Yes, it was. So Here's what Peter's saying. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Do what Job did, or ultimately did. Committed his souls to Him. Uh, other, other examples of, of believers in the Bible who suffered at the hand of God. Uh, go to 2 Corinthians 12. You know what I'm getting ready to read. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Here, here Paul had apparently been struggling, struggling with pride 
because of the revelations of God that had been granted to him. And, and perhaps he wasn't... You know, we can't say that he was struggling with pride. But, but I can say there is potential there that he could. Is that okay for me to go there? I'm not going to say that Paul was struggling with pride, but I will say this, there was potential there that he might. And so God's going to take care of it. He's going to take away the potential. Does he do that to us? (laughs) Now as I get ready to read this, we know what I'm getting ready to read. But I can't help but believe, I think the Lord has done something similar to this to me. Because I had great plans of being that papa that was going to be out on that tennis court showing them grandkids what for. But I can't. And perhaps the reason my knees are the way they are, that's my thorn in the flesh. Because uh, I might have been that prideful old man out there running around doing all that stuff and saying, hey, 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 look at that. But the potential is gone. And, now, and I could still do stuff, don't get me wrong. But, but, but when I read this, and, and that just kind of came to me today as I was thinking about that. That the Lord may have certain things happen to us to take away potential of it being a hindrance for us later on. And so I'm trusting the Lord, that's what He did. That these old achy knees are for God's glory and for my good. I hope you understand. Here, let, let, let's read. Let's read verses 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concealing this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I might depart, that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. <laughs> see, see, we, and we, we've talked about this before. We don't know the exact form of this thorn, but we do know where it came from. Where did it come from? Satan. 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 A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Where did it come from? Come from Satan. God allowed this. And we know that it was causing pain. The the word translated buffet or torment in the NASB uh, is kolophiso. And it means a blow with the fist. To strike with a fist. To be roughly or harshly treated. So we know that this thorn was allowed by God for the purpose of keeping Paul humble. And I believe it was causing some pain. See, God knows exactly what we need. Amen? He knows exactly what we need, and what we need is always is not always what we want. See, I told you what I wanted. It's not what I got, but that's okay. But what did Paul do? 
used the weapon of prayer and prayed to God for it to be removed. Was it? No. But that's okay. So we pray to God, we make our request, we boldly become before the throne of grace. We make our request known, and we make it, make it known three times even. Paul did. And then we trust the Lord with the answer. And again, Paul didn't have this thorn because he had committed some sin that he needed to confess. Now, the reason was to keep him from, as I said, the possibility of pride. Of pride. See, God had allowed it for a purpose. And if Paul, now, now listen to this. If Paul had to try to rebuke it away, because there's all kinds of this stuff going on. God had allowed this for a purpose. And if, God, if Paul could have rebuked it away by the power of his own word, and again, there's many today that believe they have the power to do all kinds of stuff by their word. And no, they don't. That's ascribed to God. Now we can ask God, and perhaps He will do some things for us, but it's not our word, it's all His power. Don't forget that. Because just consider, if, if Paul could have, by his own word, rebuked it away, in essence what he would have been doing is foiling the purposes of God. Does that make sense? Because if we could rebuke Satan away, away from this church, away from this county, away from this state, away from this country, away from this universe, if we could do it, we'd do it, wouldn't we? And we would be thwarting the hand of God. And I hope this is taken all the right way. Because that's true according to what I've been reading today. God has a plan and He uses Satan himself to accomplish those plans. Do we see that? Say amen if you do. I hope you do. Because if we pray and God answers our request, then we know that it was the will of God. Can, can I say that? Can I say that? I, I didn't put it in there, but I want to read it. It's First uh, John. 5, verses 14 and 15. Because if we pray and God answers it, we, knew, we know it was the will of God. Because if it wasn't the will of God, He wouldn't have answered it. Okay? Now this is the confidence that this is uh, 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, in the Lord, that if we ask anything, that if we ask anything according to His will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that he, we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. It will come to pass. That, that's a wonderful guarantee right there, isn't it? And so that we would pray the will of God in the midst of every situation. And again, I'm going to remind you, is that not what Jesus did in the garden? Let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. As I prayed, Lord, heal these old creaky knees, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And I believe that's what we should do in every situation of life. 
Yes, make a request known to the, to the Lord. And, and pray for others in the midst of their, their situations of life and all that they're going through. And always know that God is in control of all things and He has a plan and a purpose for everything that His children goes through. And so we trust Him. Yes, we make a request to Him. But I believe in every situation, oh Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but Yours be done. Now let's look at somebody else. Let's look at Peter himself. Let's look at Peter himself. Uh, Luke 22. Luke 22, drop down to verses 31 and 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Now let me pause there for a minute. Now this time, we don't have a record where we have that meeting and God is saying, have you considered my servant Peter? But this time what we see is, Simon, Satan has asked for you. He's on, you're on his radar. Why? Why is he asking for Peter? That he may sift you as wheat. You see, I believe Satan knew that he wanted to destroy Peter because apparently he, he could see something in Peter. He could see a boldness in Peter. He, he knew Peter was going to be trouble and, and we need to take this guy out. But here's what, what, did, what did Christ say? But I have prayed for you. Peter, I have prayed for you. You believe the Lord prays for us? I believe He does. And that's a man, I love that. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. See, Christ knew what was getting ready to happen. He, he, knew, he knew the fall was coming. When you have returned to me. But what was Peter's response here? The, the, the typical. I'll say it this way, pre-resurrection Peter. Can I say it that way? Uh, verses 33 and 34. And he said to him, and Peter said to Christ, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Oh, there's Peter. Oh, I'll go with you. I'll be right there. <laughs> and we know what happened. We know what happened. Let, let's read verses 54 through 62. Having arrested him, having arrested Christ, they led him, Christ, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This, this man, uh, I'm, I'm, I can picture this, perhaps pointing at Peter, this man was also with him. This, this, man, he was, this guy was with Christ. But he, but Peter denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, 
I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. As soon as it came out of his mouth, he was in a proximity close enough that he could look. His eyes met Christ. Let me ask you this, because it's happened to me. Not, not in this... In a, in a sense, at the moment you did something or said something, you know you shouldn't have said. It's almost as if the eyes of the Lord is looking right at you. And that's a good thing. He wept bitterly. And all that, that, that we would see the eyes of the Lord upon us should we ever stumble in, in sin. That we would see the eyes of the Lord and it would convict us immediately that we would repent on the spot. See, God used the sifting to take the arrogance out of Peter. <laughs> he realized his weakness and utter dependence upon God for his strength after this. Because see, the post-resurrection Peter did strengthen his brethren, didn't he? <laughs> well, he did mighty things in the Spirit of God. Now, you can go to Acts 2, and I will read just a portion uh, of, of Peter's sermon here because we know powerful things was happening that 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom here. Now let, let's go to Acts 2. And I want to read 36 through 41. Therefore let all the house of Israel, this is Peter and he's preaching, he's, he's proclaiming, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And I can almost picture and hear this. He's not, he's not holding back. Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's letting them know that He is the Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Was the Lord working on their heart? Yes, I believe so. Then Peter said to them, well, here's what you do. This is, this is Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Je of, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Uh, an explosion of the early church. God had a plan and a purpose. His word was going to go out quickly. So this is this is the same Peter that just weeks before weeks I 
yeah, I could say weeks before had denied Christ, but now he is standing and he's pointing fingers and he is calling people out. This one you crucified, he is Lord. He is the Christ. Because Peter, perhaps he when, he, when he wrote what we know as the epistle of 1 Peter, that opening, perhaps it was as he was looking back at what he had went through. Because here I want to read 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice in, in knowing that we are Christ and the Lord, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And I know I ask this often when I read this, who's the one that, that determines the if need be? It's God. God determines the if need be. If, you, if, if for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the, why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold and silver, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why trials come. To purify us, to refine us, to help get some of the dross, the junk out of our lives. For God's glory and for our good. And so here we have Job, we have Paul, we have Peter. And boy, preacher, I just don't know. I, I, I don't like the thought that God uses Satan in the lives of believers to bring about his purposes. I don't like that. Well, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. Let God be true. Let His Word be true. Let the examples that he's, He has put before us be true. And as I said before, God is always in control. He restricted what Satan can do. Because in Christ, Satan can do nothing to you unless God allows. Child of God, do you believe that? Because remember, God is sovereign over all His creation. As I said earlier, oh yes, Satan's a lion, but he's God's lion. And God has him on a leash. God will let no more come to us than we can bear. But I believe the one thing that God does not control, so now you're wondering what I'm getting ready to say, aren't you? I believe the one thing that God does not control is how we respond. See, that, that parts me. Will I confess? Will I repent? Now, I do believe this, that if I don't, that the pressure is going to ramp up to the point that I will. Discipline. Because the Father disciplines those He loves. Amen? He will. He will. You see, the, my response to suffering, I, I, I believe that's our own. I believe that is where when we read the Word, don't, don't, don't let uh, the, the, the sun go down upon your wrath and, and give a, a foothold or a stronghold to the devil. See, we can do that. We can just open ourselves up and it's just like we're saying, Satan, come on in and do your worst. Don't allow that. 
So what do we do? Well, I contend that we, that, that we respond as a good soldier. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And that's what we're talking about today. Our child of God, that we may wage the good warfare. That we would be equipped with the armor of God. That we would trust Him. And put our faith in Him that we would call upon the name of the Lord. Just a couple of verses from Psalms. This uh, Psalms 50 verse 15. So let me read. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Is that not what happened to Job? Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I'll call upon the Lord if you're in trouble. Come before His presence. In Psalms 55, verses 16 and 18. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and He shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there are many against me. <laughs> you sometimes feel that? Oh man, there's many against me. But that's okay. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said. But be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And then nothing, nothing, nothing is going to happen to you unless it first goes through me. <laughs> that was my paraphrase there. And I always want to put this somewhere because I know that perhaps, maybe not today, but maybe today, and maybe online, or maybe even years down the road, someone may listen to this sermon who has never called upon the Lord ever. Who has never called upon the Lord. They, they, are, they are yet in their sins. They, they have never confessed Jesus as Lord. They have never believed and received Christ. And, and then the question may come to me, well, preacher, what do I do? And I'm going to respond with exactly the words of Peter. Repent. And be baptized in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what you do. You repent. Let, let's, let's, read what, let's read what Paul said. Romans 10 verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, then you understand that that means you're confessing that Jesus is Lord. That's what you're doing. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from the wrath of God that will one day come to all unbelievers. But also saved from wrath, but saved for joy. Everlasting joy. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we give thanks for Your Word. And for the examples that we can look to and that we can find hope. And that we can find examples of how we should respond. We can find examples of, of what we shouldn't do. But ultimately we find the examples of what we should 
trust you in the midst of all things. And so, Father, grant me, grant all of us, all for grace to trust you more. Because we don't know what's going to happen in the weeks that are coming. Can't help but believe there is going to. <laughs> we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg in regard to conflict in our nation. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts that we would respond as a child of God. And the Lord, that even now that that we would purpose in our heart, regardless of who wins, regardless of how long it's going to take before we know who wins, this election that's coming up, that we're going to trust you. And praise you because you're going to raise up the one we need. May not be the one we want, but you're going to give us the one we need. And so Lord, help us to know that and help us to know that in the midst of every situation of life. Lord, I pray that we would all be battling sin that we would all put on the armor of God, that we could stand against the, the powers of wickedness, that, that we would battle sin in our lives. Every one of us knows our weaknesses. Everyone in here knows your weak point. I know mine. And so may we set a watch on the wall. May we set a guard on our mind and on our lips. And may we look to, the, to you, Lord, and trust you for help in time of need. So, Father, help us, equip us for what is to come. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.